And so it's in the providence of God, it's interesting that uh, our, our text today from the book of Luke is probably one of the central missionary texts <laughs> in the Bible. Uh, and, and I didn't plan it that way uh, because we, we've been moving our, our way through the, the book of Luke. Um, but as I've been working on this text uh, this week, praying through it, studying it, um, knowing that Jason and I were going to be, be with us, uh, one of the things that just kept popping out to me is Jesus teaches his disciples about what it means for them to go as missionaries um, is just this sense of both optimism and realism. And, and that's something that um, I've really felt a lot in our work of planting Hope Church. Uh, you know, depending on how long you've been part of the church, you probably have also felt this, where I think that, that missionary endeavor that really is, as we'll talk about, is the call for every single believer, that there's a sense of, of optimism, that, that God is, is working, and he's working in lives. But then there's also realism of knowing that it's hard, that it takes sacrifice, that it's not going to, to be easy. So if you turn in your, in your Bible to, to Luke chapter 10, um, and we'll be looking, starting in verse 1, this is on page 7, uh, sorry, um, page 868 in your, in your pew Bible. And even as I, as I read this, um, be thinking about that optimism, yet realism, and if you can kind of pick out those pieces. So again, Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house, Wherever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will, be, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. 
and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we need your spirit to guide my words, to guide our hearts. Lord, we we want to be convicted by your word. Lord, we don't want to have our intellects tickled, Lord, but we want to have our hearts renewed. Lord, we have a calling, each and every one of us, to share your word, Lord. So we pray that you could use this passage, these words of our Savior, to encourage us to that end. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this text, you, you see Jesus sending out missionaries. Um, he sends out 72 of his followers. And as he prepares to send them out, he has this special missionary training. I mean, you, you think about that. Of, uh, but when, you're, when you're starting something really difficult, sometimes you just wish that somebody would sit you down and just explain it to you. Um, that's how I felt when we, we brought our daughter Helen home from the hospital. Of, really, you're letting us just take her home? Um, <laughs> and you, just, you expected somebody just to sit you down and say, okay, this is what you do. Which they kind of did, but not as much as you would expect. But, but here, here Jesus, as he sends out the, the 72, is he's sitting them down and saying, you know, let me tell you how you can be my missionaries um, going before me. And it, it's important to notice that these 72 missionaries, um, they're not necessarily the 12 apostles. Um, Jesus actually, back in chapter 9, sent out the 12 on a very similar missionary journey. There's a lot of similar language and, and themes. Uh, but here, it seems like Jesus is sending out ordinary followers to go ahead of him with the gospel as he, he travels to uh, Jerusalem. And as you think about this then for your life um, individually and you look at Christ's words really from verse 2 to, to verse 16 you might wonder if this missionary instruction actually applies to us here today I mean maybe this is very specific missionary training that really only applied to the 12 in the first century or maybe this is missionary training that that might be useful for Jason and I but but maybe isn't useful for uh, the lay Christian uh, in church but really if you if you look at the Bible scripture is very clear that um, being a missionary of Christ isn't just something for people who are vocationally called to, to ministry I mean there is a unique call to say this is what I'm doing full time. But, but scripture says that it, it's the calling of every single believer to be his witness in the world, to go and to make disciples of all nations, to be ambassadors of Christ to the world. And so th that's really what you are. That's what I am. And we are missionaries to our families. As I was talking about in her family, we're, we're missionaries to our friends in our workplace, in our neighborhood, wherever God has placed us. And so this missionary training from Jesus, sitting his disciples down, this is, this is really useful to us. And even if you're here and you're saying, I'm not even a Christian, I just came to church today for the first time, that I still think that what, what you see here from Jesus is, is useful because what this is showing you is the very essence of the Christian calling. 
And so if you want to understand even what Christianity is about, this is a really good place to look. And if you call yourself a Christian, if you consider yourself a believer, then you and I need this missionary training from our Lord. And as I was, I was saying earlier as well, that, that really what I think pops out in this passage is how Jesus is really calling us to be optimistic yet realistic missionaries as we go forth into the world. And so there's this sense of, of optimism where he's saying the harvest is plentiful, people are going to respond, I'm the one sending you out. But then there's also this, this sense of realism where he's saying the laborers are few, you're going out as lambs in the midst of wolves, that they're going to be people who reject you, who don't want to hear from you, who will actually face God's judgment. And so as we walk through this, we're going to look at just three calls from Jesus to be optimistic yet realistic missionaries. Three calls. And so here's the first call from, from Jesus. Um, and if you look at, at verse 2, um, he said to the, to the 72, the harvest is plentiful. And so you think, okay, that's pretty optimistic. The harvest is, is plentiful. So what he's saying is that as we're looking out at, at the world, that we should see it as essentially a, a field that is ripe with, with wheat or corn or some other produce. I mean, it's, it's what you see at this time of year. You, you drive past a, a cornfield and, it, and it's ripe. You know, they, they haven't gone through the harvest yet. Or you go through a, a wheat field and, and there it is, all the grains still on the, on the stock, that that is how we're to think of the, of the world. And, and it's not just how they were to think of the world as they went out on this missionary journey in the first century, but it's how we should think about our community, how we should think about Japan, how we should think about um, the world itself. But I think that, that this is where we can then fall, instead of this, this optimism of the harvest is plentiful, we go into more of an unbiblical kind of pessimism. And, and we look out at our community or our world, and we say, well, it, it doesn't seem like anybody's interested in, in the gospel. Or we look at our family and we say, I just see ambivalence to Christianity. And so then we assume that, that sharing our faith or taking on this missionary identity that Jesus calls us to, it's kind of pointless because we, we think that, well, no one's going to really respond anyway. And this was something that I, I heard occasionally as we were even preparing to, to plant Hope Church where people would ask um, good questions, but the question's kind of down this line of, you know, aren't there already churches in that community or or isn't it kind of impossible to plant a, a church, basically, especially more of a scratch church plant in an increasingly secular world? Or, or won't you just pull Christians from other churches and you won't reach anybody new? And, and those questions, I think, are not bad questions. They're important questions to, to ask. But I think sometimes those kinds of feelings can arise from this sense that, well, maybe the harvest isn't actually plentiful. And that... that you know, maybe there's only a, a, f a few Christians in Garner Valley and Chad's Ford, and if you, if you try to start another church, you're just going to redistribute the few that are there. Um, and it's this, this sense of, you know, why go to the world? Why go to our friends and neighbors? But when Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, I think he's calling us to be optimistic about our, our, our call, each and every one of us, that, to say that, 
that he is the Lord of the harvest. And, and I love that phrase. He says you know, that he's the Lord of the harvest. He, it's his field. He is the one sending us out. And, and so even when it seems hard, we can be optimistic. That I mean, the Apostle Paul himself says that, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And so we're called to be optimistic. But then if you think on, on the other hand, there's also the, the realistic side to this, this call. Because look again at verse 2. It says, the harvest is plentiful. You have the optimism. But the laborers are few. So there you have the sense of this, this realism. And according to a Barna study that looks at religious trends, um, and this is quoting their, their study, they said, when asked if they have a personal responsibility to share their faith with others, 73% of born-again Christians said yes. And so for people who are saying, yeah, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, 73% say, yeah, I have a responsibility to, to be a missionary in my life. Um, but then it continues, when this conviction is put into practice, however, the number shifts downward that only 52% of born-again Christians say they actually did share the gospel at least once in the past year with someone of different beliefs and hope that they might accept Jesus Christ as their savior. And, and again, this is, this is a study. You can take that with a grain of salt. They're, these aren't always completely accurate. But I think that, that it, it is reflecting something about the way that, that Christians operate, where you know, even if we say, yeah, I think I, I have a responsibility to be a witness of Christ in, in the world, that we tend not to actually step up to the plate to, to do that. And so, so really then when Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, he's saying that, that the problem <laughs> in the world is, is not with Garnet Valley or Chas Ford or Pennsylvania or Delaware or America or the, or, or the, or the world. It's, the problem is not with the, the, the mission field or the, the barrenness of the, of the prospects, but it's, but it's actually that there are, are few laborers, that, that the sense that, that believers are... are so slow to step up to the plate and, and fulfill the call that the Lord has set before them. And it's not saying that, that somehow you know, God's mission would go forward. <laughs> if only we would do our, our, our duty, that God's going to do what he's, he's going to do. But yet there's this, this sense of, yeah, realism. We need more to, to step up to the plate. And then Jesus gives us the solution. He says uh, in the second half of verse 2, Therefore, in light of this, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. And so he's saying, what is the response to, to, that, to that sense of realism of you know, not enough people stepping up to the, to the plate in the world with the gospel? It, it's to say, to pray earnestly, to, to, to go before the Lord and say, Lord, we, we want to see, see more. And, that, and that's really my prayer for, for my life uh, for your life, for Hope Church, for, for churches um, in our region, for churches in our world, that the Lord would raise up laborers for his harvest. Because it's ultimately his harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest. It's not our idea or our plan, but it's, it's his. And he gives us the, the privilege of actually participating in what he is doing. I mean, so as you're thinking how to pray for, for Jason and I or how to pray for, for hope or how to pray for churches in your community, this is a great way of praying, Lord, send out laborers into the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
And so that, this is the, the first call then from Jesus to be optimistic yet realistic missionaries. But then here's the, the second call from Jesus. Um, look at verse 3, the next verse in your Bible. Jesus says, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out. And so you think, okay, if, if anything should make us optimistic in fulfilling the, the call that Jesus has on each of our lives, this is it, that, that it's not just us deciding that, that hey, we should go out and, and be witnesses to Jesus, but actually he says, go, and he says, I'm actually sending you, that he, he's sending us into the, to the world. And this is what he says in you know, the famous Great Commission in, in Matthew 28, that go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we, we can be optimistic. He's saying go. And then he says, and I'm, as you go, I'm, you're not going alone. You're not going by yourself. But actually, I'm going to go with you. And I'm actually going with you to the very end of the age. But then on the, the other side, though, there's the, the realistic aspect of this calling. So look again at verse 3. Jesus says, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out. So there you have the, the optimism. Then he says, as lambs in the midst of wolves. So there you have the realism. And so this is saying that, that essentially the, the Christian call to be missionaries in our, our families or our, our world and our workplace, wherever God has placed us, isn't going to be easy, that, that we are lambs in the midst of wolves. And um, I don't, I've never had sheep, but you, you throw lambs into the midst of wolves, it probably doesn't turn out well. And we had chickens growing up, and, and about every two years, they would get wiped out by a stray dog. <laughs> um, and and we'd, we'd have to get new ones because, because you know, something that, that seems so weak going into something that, that seems threatening. And so we face our own flesh. <laughs> we face the world, all the ways that it's opposed to the gospel. We face Satan, the world, the flesh, and the, and the devil. And then I think that, that part of the reason that we, we hesitate to actually live out our call to be missionaries in day-to-day -day life is because we actually know on some level that it's dangerous. And it's not necessarily dangerous in the same way in every place in the world. There are places where the, you know, lamb being in the midst of wolves literally does mean that you could face death, persecution, imprisonment for your faith. But probably in, in our context, the, the danger that we fear isn't so much that kind of persecution, but, it, but yet I think that we still feel the danger of, of being thought of as stupid or the danger of, of people thinking that, that, hey, you're just no different from the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormon that knocked on my door yesterday, seeing no difference and we don't want to be like that, or the, seeing a danger of being called anti-science or um, anti-intellectual. that. And so it seems then it's just easier to remain silent than to be the, the lamb going out into the midst of wolves. And I think that this is where the, the realism of Jesus about the difficulty is actually really helpful and, and really comforting, ironically, because then we don't expect it to be easy. We don't expect it to be safe. And that Jesus isn't saying that, that, well, I only want you to be my witness when it's really safe and easy and people are going to respond always positively. 
And so it's, you know, it's not easy in Japan or in Garnet Valley or Chad's Ford or Media or Wilmington or West Grove or Westchester. Or wherever God has you, it's not going to be, be easy. But yet Jesus says, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So that's the, the second call from Jesus. But here's the, the third and, and final call in this text, text to be optimistic yet realistic missionaries. And you see that as Jesus continues from in verse 4 onward, that, that he, he begins to, to say that on the, on the optimistic side, there are going to be people who accept you and who welcome you and who extend hospitality to you. And he says that these are going to be called, he calls them sons of peace, um, who will, there'll be an offer of peace given and, and that, that they'll receive that offer. But then on the, the realistic side, he also says that there are going to be people who refuse the offer of peace, who, who want nothing to do with it, who don't welcome you. And so he then tells us how to, to respond to both of these reactions, right, to the, to the optimistic side and to the realistic side. So, so look at the, the optimistic side. And Jesus tells us how we are to respond to being accepted in, in verse 8. He says that when you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And, and I, I love that, that you, know, the, you say, okay, wh- what's my, what does Jesus want me to do as a missionary? Or, you know, as, if I'm going out, what's my first responsibility? He says, eat. <laughs> eat what is set before you. And if you're a teenage boy, that's far easier. Um, but but I, I think what, he, what he's, he's getting at there is, is saying that, that to actually receive hospitality, we, we've talked a lot about that with our hospitality focus this fall, not to despise what others are putting before you, um, not to be, be thinking, hey, I'm, I'm really better than this, I'm going to go look for some kind of a better option, but be willing actually to, to humble ourselves, to set aside our own preferences or, or desires in order to see the gospel go forward. But then continuing verse 8, he says, when you, you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And then he says, heal the sick. So he's saying, then begin to meet really physical, tangible needs that are around you. And, and it's not that miraculous healing, I mean, God is a God who still heals. He has the power to heal. But it's not an ordinary part of, of necessarily our Christian life. But yet... I think that, that there's, there's a, a layer under this where he's saying, you know, meet physical needs, that we are care, called to care for the sick, for the weak, for those in need. And, and so we, we were talking, you know, in, in the announcements about being able to pack food for, for loaves of love uh, coming up in a week and a, and a day, that, that that's a way of, of just being a small part of meeting tangible needs of people who don't have enough food. It, and it's something that I think that, I mean, I know for myself and even for Hope Church, I would love to see us grow in of, of trying to, to really there step up to the plate of, of finding tangible ways to, to meet physical, tangible needs in people's lives. But then look as Jesus continues. He's in verse 9, he says, Heal the sick in the towns and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. And so he, he's saying that, that you should be missionaries in the world who are engaging in indeed ministry, making a difference in people's lives in physical, tangible ways, but then also going out engaged in, in word ministry, actually 
proclaiming the kingdom of God. And, and I don't think that he's saying that, that the, this was kind of the script that the disciples were to use, that the missionaries were to use on their, their journey. Just the kingdom of God has come near to you, and that's all that they were allowed to say. But, but essentially that's summarizing their message to say that, that, that the kingdom of God is coming near to you, that, that, it is in, that the rule of the Messiah is at hand. And for us as well, as, as we think about, about our call, to, that as, as people are receiving the message to, to be engaging in word ministry, deed ministry, proclaiming Jesus, what he has done in his life and his, his death and his resurrection. And so that's the, the optimistic side. But then Jesus moves into the, the realistic side. How is it that we respond when people don't respond positively to us? And look at, at verse 10. He says, But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, The dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. And that's, I mean, that's a pretty in, intense response to, to rejection. Where he's saying, you know, go into the streets. Well, Wipe off the dust uh, from, from your, your feet. Say the kingdom of God has come near to you. Because it's, it's true that, that some will respond, but some won't respond. And so, and so what, do we, what do we do with that? And I think that often the, the, the way that we're tempted to respond to rejection could be two extremes. That one could be to get kind of angry or get in people's face and sort of say, say, no, you're not going to reject the gospel. I'm going to keep talking about this until, until you agree with me. And kind of the, the belligerent approach to, to ministry where, where people might try to even feign that they believe just to get rid of us. Um, but then, then the other extreme of the response could be just kind of despair or, or depression, self-loathing. You know, I'm just a, a bad witness of Christ, or I guess I just don't explain things very well, or, or God doesn't really use me. I'm not very gifted for this. And so essentially we're, we're tempted to retire from our calling because it seems like people aren't responding. And if people responded, then it would prove that we were doing the right thing. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that, that if people don't respond, it means that we have we've failed. And it could be that maybe maybe we weren't being very good good witnesses, but insofar as we're being faithful in the calling, that he's saying that we don't move to anger, we don't move to, to despair, but actually we, we can trust the Lord. That that as he said earlier, it's it's his harvest, that he is the Lord of the harvest, that that it's our responsibility to be faithful, to plant seeds, but we actually can't control hearts and we can't control responses. And so there's this sense of, of urgency of saying, you know, if someone isn't, doesn't respond, rather than being angry or despairing, you know, move on because the harvest is plentiful and the, and the laborers are few. Continue to pray for them and trust the Lord in their lives. But nevertheless, though, as, as the text continues, Jesus then has pretty harsh words for those who are actually rejecting the gospel. Who refused to accept his missionaries. Look at verse 11. He says, know this. Uh, well, this is what they're to say to them. Know this, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And then Jesus says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment 
sorry, sorry, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Then he continues, Woe to you, Corazon, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and in ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, you will, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. So those are hard words of, of Jesus. But this is, he's putting this in his, his missionary training. Um, and he, he mentions three towns, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And this is really in the region where he's been ministering for most of the book of Luke thus far. Most of what we've seen in the Luke has been around these, these towns. So they, they saw the work of Jesus, they heard the teaching of Jesus, and they rejected him. They rejected the kingdom of God. And therefore, Jesus pronounces these woes. He says, woe to you. And, and then he says that actually it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And that kind of goes over our head. But, but Tyre and Sidon were kind of the, the stereotype of the sinful nation <laughs> or the sinful, sinful place. You know, that, that it'll be more bearable for Las Vegas than for you, or, you know, that, you, that, that this is the place where you would expect judgment. And, and even for our Old Testament reading that Charlotte read for us, you heard God's judgment against Tyre for their, their sin, and it's, it's a harsh judgment. But then when Jesus is saying is that, you know, to you religious people on the, on the border of Israel, that, that for rejection of Christ, that actually you'll be judged more severely even than these nations. Verse 16, the one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects me, rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. So you see this chain that that Jesus is saying, if people reject his missionaries, they're rejecting Christ. If they reject Christ, they're rejecting God. And that that feels just kind of shocking. (laughs) Um, And... And Jesus isn't saying this to kind of build up the, the ego of the 72 missionaries that he's, he's sending out. He's not saying this because they were perfect or because they had everything together. But, but really, he's saying that they're going out as ambassadors in his name. And if you think about it, that imagine a king has an ambassador and he sends that ambassador to a neighboring land and that land treats the ambassador shamefully or uh, imprisons them or kills them, the, the king wouldn't say, oh, well, you know, I never really liked that guy anyway. <laughs> um, you know, that, that's, that's between them. Um, but, but instead, the king would say, no, that, that the ambassador is actually representing me. And so to re- reject my ambassadors, to reject my authority, that it's almost a, a declaration of war. And it's the, it's the same w- with God, that, that if, we're, if we're actually living out faithfully our, our calling in, in word ministry, deed ministry, then we are ambassadors of Christ. The Apostle Paul even says, he directly he says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And that's pretty hard to even imagine, that, that God would use messed up people like you and me as ambassadors, and that it says that he is making his appeal 
through us. But I think that, that often the way that, that we behave is that, that we are like the ambassadors who, who go to an, another nation representing our, our king, but then we kind of forget why we're there. And so we, we, we take a day job at 7-Eleven, and then we think that, that everything that, that we're, we're doing is just representing ourselves. Like, I'm just, I'm just representing me. But in reality, we're ambassadors representing the king. And he says that the one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects God himself, the one who sent me. And so as we wrap up today, though, look, look back at, at verse 3. And, and it's where Jesus says that I'm sending you out as lambs into the midst of wolves. So you see this contrast, lambs versus wolves. But ironically, if, if we're going to put ourselves, okay, where do, do we naturally fall? Are we lambs or are we wolves? That every single one of us actually comes into the world as a wolf, as, as a ravenous wolf that is opposed to God. And, and that God sent Jesus ultimately as the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, that, that he sent out his own son as a lamb in the midst of wolves that is, is really all of humanity. And, and Jesus came optimistically, knowing that he was on the mission from his father. He came realistically, knowing that it would involve suffering and laying down his life, that it would, it would lead to the cross. But as he, he entered the world and, and he came among the, the wolves of, of humanity, he was... He was rejected even as a baby, his family having nowhere to stay. He was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. He was rejected in Samaria. As he journeyed to Jerusalem, he would be rejected in Jerusalem even by his own people. He would be rejected all the way to the cross where he would be condemned as a sinner. And as Jesus was, was hanging on the cross, bleed, bleeding, in our place, that, that he was surrounded not just by the ravenous wolves of the people who were there, but, but essentially by humanity itself, rejecting God, wanting nothing to do with his kingdom, even as it, as it draws near. But then Jesus w looked out at the, the ravenous wolves around the cross, saying, if you are the son of God, come down. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that what's so incredible about the gospel, about what Jesus did, is that, that he actually died and shed his blood to turn wolves into lambs and to turn the, the strong in, in the world's eyes into to the weak who are actually strong in the spirit. And so that's really who, who you and I are, that as we, as we take up this, this mantle to be these optimistic yet realistic missionaries of Christ that, that we don't go to the people around us and say we're better, we're the ones who have it together, but instead you know, we, we are the wolves who have been transformed into lambs by the grace of our amazing Lord and we're, and we're proclaiming that the kingdom of this, of this grace and, and this grace that's really displayed for us here um, in this meal that, that Christ's body was, was broken for us his, his blood was, was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, that, that he entered into, into death, into, into to suffering um, to save us 
and then to send us out as these unlikely missionaries to proclaim his grace and his mercy to the, to the world. 